welcome to the Divine Will Podcast, where we read and study the writings of the Servant of God, Louisa Picaretta. Let us begin. Today on Holy Saturday, we will be finishing the Hours of the Passion of Our Lord Jesus. Volume 14, August 2nd, 1922. Being in my usual state, I felt so confused and separated from my sweet Jesus that when he came, I said to him, My love, how things have changed for me. Formerly, I felt so fused with you that I could not detect any separation between you and me. Even in the afflictions that I suffered, you were with me. But now everything is just the opposite. When I suffer, I feel separated from you. And when I see you before me or within me, you have the appearance of a judge who condemns to suffering, to death, and you no longer participate in the afflictions that you yourself give me. Instead, you say, elevate yourself even more, and yet I keep descending. Jesus interrupted me, saying, My daughter, how you deceive yourself. This happens because you have accepted and I have marked upon you the deaths and the afflictions that I suffered for each creature. My humanity also found itself in a painful circumstance. My humanity was inseparable from my divinity, but my divinity could not be touched by sorrows and was incapable of experiencing even the shadow of pain. Thus my humanity found itself alone in its suffering. My divinity was a mere spectator to the sorrows and deaths that I experienced. On the contrary, my divinity was an exorable judge demanding payment for every misery of each creature. Oh, how my humanity trembled! When I saw myself covered with the guilt of all and with the afflictions and deaths that each creature deserved, I was crushed before the light and that supreme majesty. It was the greatest affliction of my life. While being in inseparable union with the divinity, in my afflictions I was alone and as if estranged from the divinity. If I have called you to be my likeness, why do you marvel that at the same time you feel me within you? You also see me as a spectator to the afflictions that I myself inflict upon you, and you feel separated from me. This affliction of yours is nothing but the shadow of my affliction. Just as my humanity, in fact, was never separated from my divinity, so also I assure you that you are never separated from me. You only feel the effects of separation. But it is in those moments, more than any other, that I become a single entity with you. Therefore, take heart, be faithful, and fear not. Volume 15, March 12, 1923 I was feeling as if I was dying from the pain of separation from my sweet Jesus. Even when he comes, it's as fleeting as a flash of lightning. Unable to endure it any longer and having compassion for me, he came out from within me. As soon as I saw him, I said to him, My love, what suffering! Without you I feel as if I am dying, but it is a dying without death, 
which is the hardest kind of death. I don't know how the goodness of your heart can stand it, seeing me alone for your sake in a state of continuous death. And Jesus, my daughter Courage, do not lose heart. You are not alone in suffering this pain, because I also suffered it, as well as my dear mother. Oh, it was much worse than yours. How often in my groaning humanity, though it was inseparable from my divinity, I was alone as if my divinity had left me. The purpose of this was to provide a place for expiation and suffering, since my divinity was unable to experience these. Oh, how keenly I felt this desolation. But it was necessary. You should know that when my divinity set forth the work of creation, it also set forth all the glory, blessings, and happiness that each creature should receive, not only in this life, but also in the heavenly fatherland. The part that concerned the lost souls remained suspended. There was no one to whom it could be given. Having to complete everything and absorb everything into myself, I suffered the desolation that the damned themselves suffer in hell. Oh, how this suffering cost me. It cost me the suffering of hell and a merciless death, but it was necessary. Having to absorb into myself everything that came out of us in creation, all glory, blessings, and happiness, and make them come out of me again for the sake of those who would benefit from them, I had to absorb all sufferings and even the deprivation of my divinity. Now that all the good things of creation have been absorbed into me, and since I am the head from whom all blessings descend upon all generations, I go about searching for souls that resemble me in their sufferings and in their works, so that they can participate in the great glory and happiness that my humanity contains. Since not all souls want to benefit from this, nor are they all empty of themselves and of the things of the world, I want souls who I can become intimate with and then withdraw from and thereby create the suffering within them of being deprived of my presence. The soul that suffers this desolation comes to acquire the glory of my humanity that others reject. If I had not been almost always with you, you would have neither known nor loved me. You would not have been able to experience the pain of this desolation, nor would it have been even a possibility. You would have lacked the basis for this suffering. Oh, how many souls are separated from me, and perhaps even dead. Such souls are saddened if they are deprived of a small pleasure or any other trifle. To their deprivation of me, however, they give neither a moment's grief nor even a thought. So this suffering should console you, because it is a certain sign that I have come to you and that you know me and that your Jesus wants to bestow you with the glory, blessings, and happiness that the others reject. November 19, 1926 The Divine Will is Agonizing in the Midst of Creatures My always amiable Jesus, drawing me into His adorable will, 
made me see and feel the dolorous conditions in which the ingratitude of creatures place him. And sighing with sorrow, he said to me, My daughter, the pains of the divine will are inconceivable and unnarratable to the human creature. It lives in all creatures, but is under the nightmare of a tremendous and heart-rending agony, because creatures, instead of giving it dominion to let its life rise in them, they keep it repressed and deprived of the liberty to be able to act, to breathe, to palpitate. In its stead is the human will which acts, breathe freely, palpitates as it wishes, while mine is only to serve it, to concur in its acts in which it lives out as agonizing, suffocated in the dolorous state of a prolonged agony of long centuries. It struggles in the creature with remorses of conscience, delusions, setbacks, crosses, weariness of life, and all that which can give annoyance to human life. These are the calls which it uses so that the creature can re-enter into herself and give it a little rest from its tortured agony. So dolorous is the agony that my humanity, which wanted to suffer it in the Garden of Gethsemane, reached to the point of seeking help from my very apostles, help that it did not even obtain, for which the pangs were so great that I sweat living blood. And feeling myself succumb under the enormous weight of the agony, so long and tremendous of my divine will, I invoked my Heavenly Father that he might help me, saying to him, Father, if it is possible, let this chalice pass from me. In suffering all the other pains of my passion, for however atrocious, I never said, If it is possible, let this pain pass from me. Rather, on the cross, I cried, I thirst. I thirsted for pains. Instead, in this pain, I felt all the weight of an agony so long, all the torture of a divine will that agonizes, that suffers atrociously in the human generations. What sorrow, my daughter! What torment! Now the supreme fiat is tired, and whatever cost wants to go out from this so prolonged agony. The divine chastisements which pour down from heaven are none other than the accentuated struggles of its prolonged agony, by which, not being able to endure it longer, it wants to let the human family feel its dolorous state. It wants to let souls feel its existence in them, yet it no longer wants to be in a state of agony. It wants liberty, dominion. It wants to develop its life in them. What disorder, my daughter, in society because my will does not reign? Souls have become as houses without order, all topsy-turvy. The stench of evil is terrible, is horrible, more than that of putrefied cadavers. And my will agonizes in the midst of so many evils. And this in general is everywhere. In particular, it is much more serious in so many consecrated to the Lord. In them my will not only agonizes, but it even in a state of lethargy, as if it really did not have life. Oh, how more dolorous is this state, because in the agony my will at least struggles, has an outlet, 
makes its existence felt in them, though agonizing. But to agonize in a state of lethargy, oh, how much more is it racked with pain, because it is constrained to suffer even total immobility, the state of continuous death. Thus the interior of these souls is drowsy, as if light and good are not for them. And if they do something externally, it is void of divine life and disappears in the smoke of vain glory, of self-esteem and of pleasure, while my supreme will, although it lives in them, remains stranger in their behavior. My daughter, what a front! How I would like to let everyone feel my tremendous agony, the continuous death rattle, the oppressive lethargy in which souls place my will, because they do not want to know it. They do not want it to let it rain. Behold why it wants to overcome every obstacle with its accentuated strugglings, so that if souls do not want to know it by way of love, they will know it then by way of justice. It is tired of its agony of centuries, and therefore wants to pass forth in order to come to reign on earth, and this it will do in two ways, by way of triumph, that is, with its knowledges, prodigies, and its immense and infinite goods, by way of justice, that is, with its divine chastisements, for who does not want to know it triumphantly? It thus awaits creatures to choose the manner in which they want to receive it. Volume 17, July 25, 1924 this morning my sweet Jesus made himself visible in my interior in the act of extending his arms in the form of a cross. I remained with him, and then he said to me, My daughter, the last act of my life was to extend myself upon the cross and remain there with my arms open until I died. Without being able to move or to oppose what they wanted to do to me, I was a true portrait, a living image of who lives not with the human will, but the divine. I was unable to move or resist, having lost every right over myself, experiencing the horrible tension of my arms. How many things they said, and while I lost my rights, the others acquired my life. The first right was that of the supreme will which, making use of its immensity and all-seeingness, took all souls and put them in my arms, the innocent as well as the penitent sinners, the good and the repentant. I took them in my extended arms so that I might carry them to heaven, and I did not reject anyone. Thus, in my arms, the divine will made a place for everyone. And since the supreme will is a continuous act, never interrupted, what it does once it never stops doing. And even though my humanity is in heaven and is not subject to suffering, I go about finding souls that do not act in the human will but in the divine, who refuse nothing, who lose every right. Laying aside its own rights, the divine will continues its act of putting all souls, saints and sinners, those who are innocent and those who are evil, in the arms of my volition, in this way it repeats and continues what my open arms did on the cross. 
This is why I am extended within you so that the supreme will continue its action of bringing everyone to my arms. After that, he added, Sanctity is not formed by a single act, but by many acts united together. A single act does not form either sanctity or perversity, because, lacking the continuation of the acts, the colors and the rich hues of sanctity are missing, and without these one cannot give weight or just value to either sanctity or perversity. This is why continuously good acts make shine and place a seal on sanctity. No one can say he is rich because he possesses a coin, but only the one who has extensive possessions, villas, palaces, etc. So it is with sanctity. Sanctity, then, has need of many good acts, sacrifices, heroism, but it also can become subject to voids and intervals. The sanctity in my volition, on the other hand, is not subject to intermittent phases, but comes to associate itself with that continuous act of the eternal volition that never, never stops, but is always acting, always operating, always triumphant. It always loves and never stops. Therefore, the sanctity in my volition carries to the soul the seal of the work of its Creator, which is His continuous love and the continuous conservation of all things created by Him. And it never changes. It is immutable. Whoever is subject to change belongs to the earth and not to heaven. Change in itself is of the human will, not the divine. Interrupting good is of the creature, not the Creator. All this would be dishonorable to the sanctity of living in my volition because it contains the emblem and image of the sanctity of its creator. Therefore be attentive, leave all rights to the supreme will, and I will go about forming in you the sanctity of living in my volition. Volume 10, November 18, 1911 I was lamenting to Jesus about his privations, especially in these days, and that he does not even let me see him any more. And blessed Jesus said to me, My daughter, here I am in your heart. If I do not let you see me any more, it is because I have left the world to its own mercy, and I, having withdrawn from them, have withdrawn you also. And therefore, you do not see what is happening these days. But I am always attentive to you to see and listen to what you want. Have you perhaps asked something of me? Have you had need of my teachings, and I did not pay heed? Actually, I am assisting you so much that I have placed you in a condition where you will not feel the need of anything. Your only need is my will, and that the consummation of love be accomplished in you. My will is like a spring. The more a soul penetrates into my will, so much more the spring of my will enlarges, and the soul takes more part in all my goods. Therefore, in this period of your life, I want you all intent in forming your perfect consummation in love. And I. But my sweet love, I am very fearful of my present state. 
My love, what a change, and you know it. Even the suffering is gone. It seems that it is afraid to come to me. Is not this an ominous sign? And Jesus, what you say is false. If I did not hold you as if bound, you would get up. What do you mean by saying you cannot move by yourself, having need of others in your things? Is it not because I keep you bound? Having released you from the bounds of my presence, my love uses other artifices for holding you tied with me. You must know that the real crucifixion does not consist in being nailed to the cross in the hands and feet, but in all the particles of the soul and body. Therefore, now I hold you more crucified than before. When you were crucified by me, how long does the exterior crucifixion in the hands and the feet last? Hardly three hours. On the contrary, the crucifixion of all the particles of my being was the crucifixion of my will in the will of the Father, and it lasted all my life. Don't you want to imitate me even in this? Ah, if I wanted to release you, you would really remain free as if you had not been in bed for even one day. But I promise that I will return soon. Volume 12, January 27, 1919 The Three Most Sorrowful Wounds of the Heart of Jesus in Which the Celestial Mother and Louisa Participate Finding myself in my usual state, my always amiable Jesus on coming, made me see his adorable heart all full of wounds, from which flowed streams of blood. Then all sorrowful, he said to me, My daughter, among so many wounds that my heart contains, there are three wounds that give me mortal pain and such bitterness of sorrow as to surpass all the other wounds together. First, these are the pains of my loving souls. When I see a soul completely mine, suffering for my sake, tortured, trampled upon, and ready to suffer even the most sorrowful death for me, I feel her pains as if they were mine, and perhaps even more. Ah, love knows how to open the most profound rents, so much so as to not feel the other pains. In this first wound my loving mother enters first of all, Oh, how her heart, pierced because of my pains, overflowed in mine, and it felt in itself all her transfictions. Moreover, in seeing her dying because of my death and not dying, I felt in my heart the suffering, the harshness of her martyrdom, and I felt the pains of my death that the heart of my mother felt, and my heart died together with her. Thus all my pains united to the pains of my mother, surpassed everything. It is just that my celestial mother would have the first place in my heart, as much in sorrow as in love, because in each pain she suffered for love of me, she opened seas of graces and of love that overflowed from her transfixed heart. In this wound enter all souls who suffer because of me and solely for love of me. In this wound you enter, Moreover, even if all would offend me and would not love me, I find in you the love that can requite me for everyone. And therefore, 
when creatures chase me away and constrain me to flee from them, I very quickly come to take refuge in you as in my hiding place. Then, finding my love, I do not regret having created heaven and earth and having suffered so much. A soul who loves me and suffers for me is all my comfort, my contentment, my happiness, and my compensation for everything that I have done. Further, putting aside all the rest, I enjoy and entertain myself with her. Therefore, this wound of love to my heart, while it is the most painful so as to go beyond everything, contains two effects at the same time. It gives me intense pain and great joy, unspeakable bitterness and indescribable sweetness, painful death and glorious life. They are the excesses of my love, inconceivable to the created mind. And indeed, how many contentments did my heart not find in the sorrows of my transfixed mother? The second mortal wound of my heart is ingratitude. With ingratitude the creature closes my heart. Rather, she herself takes the key to double-turn it in lock, and my heart swells because it wants to pour out graces and love, and is not able to do so, since the creature has locked me out of her, and has placed there the seal of ingratitude. Then I go wild, I yearn without expecting this wound of mine to be healed, because ingratitude always embitters me, giving me mortal pain." The third wound is obstinacy. What mortal wound to my heart? Obstinacy is the destruction of all the good that I have done for the creature. It is the signature upon the declaration which the creature makes of not knowing me any more, of not pertaining to me any more. It is the key to hell into which the creature precipitates himself. Then my heart, feeling the rent, goes to pieces and I feel one of those pieces torn away from me. What mortal wound is obstinacy? My daughter, enter into my heart and take part in these wounds of mine. Compassionate my torn heart, and together we will suffer and pray. I entered into his heart. How painful but beautiful it was to suffer and pray with Jesus. Volume 13 October 16, 1921 Finding me in my usual state, my always amiable Jesus made me see that from within his most holy humanity all creatures go forth. All tenderness, he said to me. My daughter, look at the great prodigy of the Incarnation. In the same manner that I was conceived and my humanity was formed, so I made all creatures be reborn in me so that, while they were being reborn, my humanity perceived all of their distinct acts. My mind embraced each thought of the creature, both good and bad. The good ones I confirmed in the good. I surrounded them with my grace, and I invested them with my light, so that, by becoming reborn in the holiness of my mind, they might be worthy products of my intelligence." The bad ones I redressed through penance. I multiplied my thoughts to infinity so as to give glory to my Father for every thought of creatures. In my glances and in my words, 
in my hands and feet and even in my heart, I embraced the glances, words, works, steps, and hearts of everyone. Becoming reborn in me, everything was confirmed in the holiness of my humanity. Everything was redressed. I suffered a special pain for every offense. Having made all of them become reborn in me, I brought them the entire period of my life. And do you know when I gave birth to them? Upon the cross I gave birth to them. In the bed of my harsh sufferings and among atrocious agonies, in the last gasp of my life, as I breathed my last, so they were being reborn to new life, each one sealed and stamped with the entire comportment of my humanity. Not content with having made them reborn, I gave to each of them everything that I had done, so as to defend them and keep them safe. Do you see what holiness is within man? The holiness of my humanity could never have given birth to sons that are unworthy and different from myself. I love man so much because he is my own offspring, but man is always ungrateful and ends up never knowing the father who has given birth to him with so much love and sorrow. After saying that, he appeared all aflame. Jesus was burned and consumed in these flames. He could be seen no more. Nothing else could be seen other than fire. But then he reappeared again, only to be consumed in the fire one more time. Then he added, My daughter, I am burning. Love consumes me. So great is my love, the flames that burn me, that I die of love for each creature. It was not from suffering alone that I died. The deaths of love are continuous, and yet there is no one who gives me his love for relief. Volume 17, June 29, 1925 I felt depressed, and a thought wanted to disturb my mind. If someone finds himself at the point of death and has doubts and fears about how he lived his life, even to the point of doubting his own salvation, what would he do? But while I thought that, my sweet Jesus did not give me time to reflect nor to respond to my thought. Moving in my interior, he made himself seen shaking his head, and as so saddened by my thoughts said to me, My daughter, what are you saying? To think that is an affront to my will. In it there enters neither fears nor doubt, nor any danger. These are the things that do not pertain to it. They are the miserable rags of the human will. My will is that placid sea that murmurs peace, happiness, security, and certainty. And the waves that spring from its bosom are waves of endless joy and contentment. Therefore, I am astonished in seeing you think that. My will is incapable of fears or doubts or danger, and the soul that lives in it becomes estranged to the miserable rags of the human will. And what could my will fear? Who can doubt its work if in the presence of the sanctity of my operative volition all tremble and are obliged to bow their heads, adoring the action of my will? I want to tell you something that will be a consolation for you and a great glory for me. 
When you die in time, what happened to me at my death will happen to you. In life I worked, prayed, preached, instituted the sacraments, suffered inexpressible pain, even unto death itself. But I can say that my humanity saw almost nothing relative to all the good I did. Not even did the very sacraments have life while I was on earth. But when I died, my death sealed my work, my words, my pains, the sacraments, and the fruit of my death confirmed all that I did. It activated the resurgence of life to my works, my pains, my words, the sacraments I instituted, and the continuation of this life, even to the completion of the centuries. And so my death put in motion all my works and made them rise to perennial life. All this was just, because since my humanity contained the eternal word, and a will that had neither a beginning nor an end, nor was subject to death, nothing it did should be lost, not even one single word. Rather, everything should have its continuation until the end of time, and then continue in heaven to beatify the blessed forever. So it will happen with you. My will that lives in you, that speaks to you, that makes you operate and suffer in it, will let nothing perish, not even a word of the many truths I have manifested to you about my will, but will put everything in motion. It will make everything rise. Your death will be the confirmation of all that I have told you, and because life in my will makes everything the soul does, suffers, prays, speaks, my will being contained in the act, it causes that nothing remains subject to death, but remain as so many lives in the world, all of which are in the act of giving life to creatures. Therefore, your death will tear away the veil that covers all the truths I have told you, and they will rise as so many suns, and will dispel all the clouds of doubt and difficulties which appeared to cover them in life. So while you live in this lowly world, you will see little or nothing of the great good that my will wants to do through you, but after your death, all will have its full effect. Volume 16, November 24, 1923 I was doing the hour of the passion in which my sorrowful mamma received her son, dead, into her arms, and placed him in the sepulchre, and in my interior I was saying, My mamma, together with Jesus, I place all souls into your arms, that you may recognize them all as your children, inscribe them one by one into your heart, and place them inside the wounds of Jesus. They are the children of your immense sorrow and this is enough for you to recognize them and love them. And I want to place all generations in the supreme will, so that no one may be missing. And in the name of all, I give you comforts, compassions, and divine reliefs. Now, while I was saying this, my sweet Jesus moved in my interior and told me, My daughter, if you knew with what food my sorrowful mama nourished all these children, and I, what was it, O oh my Jesus? And he, again, since you are my little one, chosen by me for the mission of my will, and you live in the fiat in which you were created, 
I want to make known to you the story of my eternal will, its joys and its sorrows, its effects, its immense value, what it did, what it received, and the one who took to heart its defense. The little ones are more attentive in listening to me because their minds are not filled with other things. They are as though empty of everything, and if one wants to give them a different food, they feel disgusted because, being little, they are used to taking only the milk of my will, which, more than loving mother, keeps them attached to its divine breast to nourish them abundantly, and they remain with their little mouths opened, waiting for the milk of my teachings, and I amuse myself very much. Oh, how beautiful it is to see them, now smiling, now rejoicing, now crying, in hearing me narrate the story of my will. Well then, the origin of my will is eternal. Never did sorrow enter into it. Among the divine persons this will was in highest concord. Even more, it was one. In each act it emitted both ad intra and ad extra. It gave us infinite joys, new contentments, immense happiness. And when we wanted to issue the machine of creation, how much glory, how much harmonies and honor did it not give to us? As soon as the fiat was released, this fiat diffused our beauty, our light, our power, order, harmony, love, sanctity, everything. And we remained glorified by our own virtues in seeing by means of our fiat the flowering of our divinity veiled in the whole universe. Our will did not stop. Swollen with love as it was, it wanted to create man. And you know his story. Therefore I move forward. Ah, it was he who caused the first sorrow to my will. He tried to embitter the one who loved him so much and who made him happy. My will wept more than a tender mother who weeps over her son, who is crippled and blind only because he withdrew from the will of his mother. My will wanted to be the first actor in man, for nothing else but to give him new surprises of love, of joys, of happiness, of light, of riches. It wanted to always give. This is why it wanted to act. But man wanted to do his will and broke it from the divine. If only he had never done that. My will withdrew, and he fell into the abyss of all evils. Now, in order to rejoin these two wills, one was needed who would contain a divine will within himself. Therefore, since I, eternal word, loved this man with an eternal love, we, the divine persons, decreed together that I was to take on human flesh in order to come and save him, and to rejoin the two broken wills. But where did it descend? Who would be the one who would lend her flesh to her creator? This is why we chose one creature, and by virtue of the foreseen merits of the future Redeemer, she was exempted from original sin. Her will and ours were one. It was this celestial creature that understood the story of our will. We narrated everything to her, as to a little one, the sorrow of our will, and how by breaking his will from ours, ungrateful man had constrained our will within the divine circle, almost hampering it in its designs, preventing it 
from communicating to him its goods and the purpose for which he had been created. For us to give is to make ourselves happy as well as the one who receives from us. It is to enrich without being impoverished. It is to give what we are by nature, forming it in the creature by grace. It is to go out of ourselves to give what we possess. By giving, our love pours itself out, and our will makes feast. If we were not to give, why would we form the creation? So the mere being unable to give to our children, to our dear images, was like a mourning for our supreme will. Just in seeing man operate, speak, walk without the connection of our will, because it had been broken by him, and that currents of graces, of light, of sanctity, of science, etc., would run to him, had he been with us, but could not. Our will took the attitude of sorrow. In each act of creature there was a sorrow for us, because we saw that an act empty of divine value, without beauty and sanctity, completely dissimilar from our acts. Oh, how the celestial little one understood this highest sorrow of ours and the great evil of man in withdrawing from our will. Oh, how many times she cried hot tears because of our sorrow and because of the great misfortune of man. Therefore, fearing, she did not want to concede even one act of life to her own will. This is why she remained little, because her will had no life in her. How could she become grown up? But that which she did not do, our will did. It raised her all beautiful, holy, divine. It enriched her so much as to make of her the greatest of all. She was a prodigy of our will, a prodigy of grace, of beauty, of sanctity. But she remained always little, so much so, that she would never descend from our arms, and taking to heart our defense, she repaid all the sorrowful acts of the supreme will. And not only was she completely in order with our will, but she made all the acts of creatures her own, absorbing into herself all our will rejected by them. She repaired it, she loved it, and keeping it as though deposited within her virginal heart, she prepared the food of our will for all creatures. Do you see then with what food this most loving mother nourishes her children? It cost her all her life, unheard of pains, the very life of her son, to form within herself the abundant deposit of this food of my will and to keep it ready to nourish all her children as tender and loving mother. She could not love her children more by giving them this food. Her love had reached the ultimate degree. Therefore, among the many titles that she has, the most beautiful title that could be given to her is that of Mother and Queen of the Divine Will. Now, my daughter, if my mama did this for the work of redemption, so must you for the work of the Fiat Voluntas Tua. Your will must have no life in you, and making all the acts of my will for each creature your own, you will deposit them within yourself, and while repaying my will in the name of all, you will form within yourself all the necessary food to nourish all generations with the food of my will. Each saying, each effect, each additional knowledge about it will be one more taste which 
they will find in this food in such a way that they will eat it with avidity. Everything I tell you about my volition will serve to whet their appetite, and so that they may take no other food at the cost of any sacrifice. If a food were said to be good, to restore one's strengths, to heal the sick, to contain all tastes, and even more, to give life, to embellish and make one happy, who would not make any sacrifice in order to take this food? So it will be for my will. In order to make it loved and desired, knowledge is necessary. Therefore be attentive. Receive within yourself this deposit of my will, so that as a second mother you may prepare the food for our children. In doing so, you will imitate my mamma. It will cost you much as well, but in the face of my will any sacrifice will seem nothing to you. Do it as a little one. Never descend from my arms, and I will continue to narrate you the story of my will. Volume 10, June 21st, 1911 I was thinking about the Celestial Mother when she held my always adorable Jesus dead in her arms, of what she was doing and how she occupied herself with him. And there was a light in my interior accompanied by a voice which said, My daughter, love acted powerfully in my mother. Love consumed her all in me, in my wounds, in my blood, in my very death, which made her die in my love. My love, consuming the love and all of my mother, made her rise again with new love, that is, completely in my love, so that her love made her die, and my love made her rise again to a life all in me. Therefore, there is no sanctity if the soul does not die in me. There is no real life if she isn't completely consumed in my love. is falling on Calvary Hill. Our Savior hangs dying, the work of man's will. Child, he says, none can save me, but watch and be still. The Father in heaven looks down on his son. His anger is kindled by what man has done. But Jesus begs mercy upon everyone. Says the Father to Jesus, how can it be true that your own consecrated have done this to you? They seek your heart only to wound it anew. My Abba, have mercy. Sweet Jesus replies, 
This heart crushed and broken You will not despise May the hearts that receive me Find grace in your eyes I offer my sufferings For thirty-three years From the womb of my mother I offer my tears My pains and my sorrows my hurts and my fears O Father most holy To sinners most kind By the light of our spirit Give sight to the blind For one soul is as precious as all of mankind One favor I beg you In the hour of my death May I gather all creatures Into my last breath That with me they may praise you all of the blessed Darkness is falling On Calvary Hill Our Savior hangs dying The work of man's will With Mary our mother let us watch and be still With Mary our mother Let us watch and be still This concludes our podcast for today. This podcast is coming from the Louisa Picaretta Center for the Divine Will. For more information, please call 423-566-5178. Thank you for listening. God bless.